Thank you, Travis. So yes, so we're uh, David and Krista. Um, I lived in Victoria for four years. It actually felt quite a bit longer than that, not because it was like, oh, four long years, um, but just because it was four rich years. Um, and we've actually since been gone for four years, which is also quite incredible. Um, so yeah, so uh, as Travis uh, mentioned, we now uh, live and work in Montreal. I'm originally from Montreal, so it's a homecoming for me, um, but uh, a new season for David, who's from Toronto. Um, but before we jump in, we just want to say a huge thank you to Shelburne. Uh, you guys are the most, like, most excellent partners um, and investors in students, um, and also people who just take care of us as missionaries sent from this church. Uh, so we're, we're super grateful and just want to say thank you. Um, last summer, we moved to Montreal after spending a year in Sherbrooke, which is two hours east of Montreal so that David could learn French. So he had a year of French immersion. Um, and by the grace of our Lord, he speaks French now. So <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> um, and we moved to Montreal to work with uh, Francophone students on French campuses. So we still work for InterVarsity, um, but then InterVarsity has lent us to our French sister movement called Groupe Biblique Universitaire et Collégion. So that's the University and College Bible Groups. And we will call it GBUC as we pursue the message today. Um, we uh, were given the but small task of uh, planting ministry on 11 French campuses on the island of Montreal. So while David was in language school, I was on sabbatical, so I made a map. So this is Montreal. The lines are the metro subway lines. That's how we get around. And all the red dots are the colleges. Now, they're called CEGEP which is College of General and Professional Education. This is a unique school system in Quebec. So we graduate in grade 11, do two years of CEGEP, and it's like pre-university generalized programs, and then three years of university. So it evens out in the end. So GBUC has been on French campuses in the past, but then about 10 years of, uh, of no ministry among CEGEP students in Montreal, francophone CEGEP students. InterVarsity works with English students, so there's English campuses, French campuses. And so, uh, so they were like, could you do this? And we foolishly said, sure. Um, so just to give you a bit of context and some spiritual climate of Montreal, um, you may or may not know, uh, but uh, Quebec has a long history with the Catholic Church and a rather tumultuous history with the Catholic Church. Um, and Francophones suffered some pretty severe oppression from the Catholic Church. And so in the 1960s, in a pretty drastic and quick way, uh, there was the separation of church and state, and the Catholic Church was taken out of all public institution, like overnight, which caused great crises of faith for people. And so that led to two mass exoduses. One was from the church, and the second was Anglophones from Quebec, because um, all of a sudden, Francophones were empowered, um, and that was threatening to Anglophones, and so they left. Um, but what it means now is that Quebec is the most post-Christian uh, province in Canada. When I moved to Victoria, people were like, this place is so secular. And I was like, you have no idea. Um, and so there's a term used mostly in Western Europe, but then it, it is also in our vernacular in Quebec. It's called laïcité, which is um, our English equivalent is secular, but doesn't quite grasp it. It's the, it's the separation of church and state but with a step further of ex exclusion of religion from the public sphere. 
Um, and so that's, that's a bit of the climate that we're in. So what that means is that when we want to plant ministry on a French campus, uh, we aren't really allowed to do that. In English campuses, you can, um, but in Francophone campuses, you're not allowed. So we can't be like a formal like Christian group. Like we can't be a club. We can't book space. We can't put up posters. Um, and in Sejeps, that are kind of this hybrid high school university, um, David and I, we could, uh, if we ruffled the wrong feathers, could get kicked off campus. Um, and so a lot of our work is trust building at the beginning. And so our approach to campus ministry in that context is a lot more from the community development angle and less from the church planting angle. Um, so in Montreal, there are between 250 and 300,000 students, post-secondary students. It's the um, most dense population of students in North America. So the most students per capita are in Montreal, which is pretty like mind-boggling. And in Quebec, there's over half a million post-secondary students. Uh, so the uh, harvest is a plentiful. So it's our joy to share with you this morning. Um, and the little side note is uh, we send up prayer updates, newsletters. If you want to receive those, please come and ask us to be added to the list. So let's dive in. So from what I understand, um, you've been doing a series on discipleship. And uh, so today we're coming to a close with that. But we're going to look at the topic of being proclaimers of the mission. Um, so today's passage up behind me is from Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. And I'm just going to read it again to refresh our memory. He went up to the mountain and called to him those whom he wanted. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him and to be sent out to proclaim the message and to have authority to cast out demons. This passage we're looking at is from Mark 3. From what I understand, you've been looking mostly at passages from Mark 8 to 10. So we've kind of gone back much closer to the beginning here. Just before this passage, Jesus has healed, touched unclean people, cast out demons, and taught with authority, unlike the scribes. He has drawn crowds from the get-go, and he has been on the move. This is the passage where he calls the twelve disciples. Often when we think about being proclaimers of the word and of the mission, we look at the instructions Jesus leaves his disciples at the end of his ministry, um, just before he goes to heaven. We wanted to go back to the beginning to look at his intentions and his plan from the start. The book of Acts records the Acts of the Apostles, which is essentially the group he chooses here. It records all of the amazing things they go on to do. But we wanted to look at how does Jesus get his disciples there? Over the years, this passage has given me vision and has helped keep me grounded. So this passage introduces some foundational concepts of what we believe. This is where he appoints the 12 disciples, the ones who will be closest to him. They are with him day in and day out, and they are learning the most closely from him. It's also one of the few times in Mark we see the word apostle. Um, and so this passage really is at the intersection of our topic it's about discipleship, and it's about evangelism. 
There are two little words which capture the essence of this in this passage. It's the words to be. You'll see this phrase in there twice. There is the call to be with him and the call to be sent out. And so we're going to dig deeper into this today. First, let's start with the call to be with him, which is the call to be a disciple. This passage starts with Jesus calling to himself those whom he wanted, and they came to him. Many first century rabbis had disciples. Usually it was the disciple who asked to follow the master. But here it's the reverse. It's Jesus who's doing the asking. I just want to take a moment to reflect on how incredible this is. When I got engaged to Krista, I remember how excited I was at the idea of having her in my life and how amazed I was by the feeling that that she wanted me. I was overwhelmed, I was humbled, and I felt so privileged at the same time. Jesus is not distant. He wants us, and he wants to do life with us. When Krista said yes, my life changed. This church also exists because people said yes to life with Jesus. Life with Jesus is so good, and it's good to remember how good it is. That's the mission we're proclaiming. So Jesus calls these 12 to be with him, and they say yes. What exactly are they signing up for? (laughs) They're learning from the master, how the master interprets scripture, and they wanted to live the way he lived. To be a, a disciple means to follow Jesus. It means we're going where he's going. Our job is to discover what he's doing and to be a part of his mission. Often there is a misconception that missionaries are bringing the gospel with them. But God is so much bigger than that. He is already there. He is already at work long before we get there, and he will be at work long after we leave. God is a missionary God He longs for people to know the truth about who he is and how much he loves them. So Krista is going to share a couple stories about where we've discovered God at work and how we've been joining him. So when we were to start out in September, we knew no one. Uh, on on these sejeps, and we didn't know these sejeps either. I went to sejep, but I went to an English one. And so we figured, okay, well, the best way to begin is to prayer walk the campuses. So we made a calendar. There were, well, at the time, we thought there were 10. We discovered there were 11. Uh, But we made a calendar of two weeks where we would prayer walk one campus a day. We sent out uh, an email to our partners and supporters to invite them to do this with us. Um, A number of you prayed and interceded with us. And so we'd show up on a campus, walk and pray, and listen. Listen to the campus and listen to the Spirit. Uh, One campus, which is the one behind me, is called uh, Cégep Vieux-Montréal, Old Montreal, and it's right downtown Montreal. Uh, This campus is known for its protests, which is why I've chosen this photo. 
the, the, uh, the joke is that if they run out of toilet paper, they'll strike. So um, we, when we had a prayer walk that campus, we received an email from uh, a prayer supporter of ours in Montreal, who was actually an old friend of David's from university in Toronto. So he told us, uh, we pa- I pass by this campus every day on my way to work, so I'm going to start praying for this campus every day. A month later, we get an email from a student at that campus, and she says, uh, I'm a Christian student in this program, and I have met three other Christians in the same program. We know this is not a coincidence, and I know what GBUC is, so could you come and meet us and tell us what you do? And so we say yes, a thousand times yes. So we show up, we meet these students, um, and, and it was wonderful to meet a group of students who kind of discovered each other and thought, oh, this is not, this is not for nothing. And so we, they said, we want to know how to be meaningful with Jesus in our studies. Can you teach us how to do that? And so we started a group there. Um, another campus, Marie-Victorin, this one is in the northeast part of Montreal. Uh, we had actually met a student from that campus from a colleague of ours. So when we were going to prayer walk that campus, we invited her to come with us, and she invited a friend. So we would walk and pray around campus and run into their friends, and boldly they would tell their friends, we're praying. And then we met two friends in particular. And so we stop and we start chatting with them. So they ask, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're walking and praying. And they, oh, okay. Um, And then uh, they say, "Uh, can you tell us more? And so we start telling them about GBUC. And there's the word biblical in, in the name. So they're like, biblical? Like Bible? Like we can read that here? Uh, and they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it turns out these two students were actually Christians. Uh, and so they said, we want to we wanna be a part of this. So we invited them. We started a group. And one student, Naftali, uh, she, we started to uh, uh, notice some real leadership potential in her. So we said, Naftali, we want you to lead. Uh, we're going to do Bible studies, and you're going to lead the Bible studies. She's like, oh, okay. Uh, so she does it and does a fantastic job. Uh, and so she graduates in December, and so we say, uh, she was going to take a semester off before university, so we said, Neftali, we want to invite you to intern with us so that we can continue to develop your leadership skills. And she said, okay. So she was just, yes, yes, yes. Um, and so uh, Neftali has been one of the students who has invited the most friends who don't identify as Christians to the group, and she's also invited, like, pe- literally strangers on the bus to come to our group, and they've come, which is weird, <laughs> wonderful, weird. Um, and so we walked, and we prayed, we were with Jesus, and that's how we discovered this is what the Spirit is doing in these places, and this is how we join in. So we are with Jesus so that we know his mission, know where He is going, in order that we can follow him and join in the work he's already doing. So the second to be is to be sent out. But before that, he names them apostles. So apostles, the Greek word is apostolos, which uh, means the ones sent forth, the sent ones. Uh, And so the question is, why is it significant um, that he sends them out? Disciples of rabbis uh, in the first century, they were always meant to be observable by their rabbi so that the rabbi could comment and ask questions on their activity. Um, But Jesus, on the other hand, he actually releases his disciples to go, be his conduits, and then come back and report and tell them what has happened. He calls them to himself so that he can send them out. 
And so the disciple is also the apostle, and the learner is also the doer. Now, apostles were sent out to do two things, proclaim the message and cast out demons. And undoubtedly, this would be a scary task for the disciples. Um, As they haven't, like, remember, they haven't been following Jesus for that long. And this isn't necessarily a normal job assignment for a disciple. So how would they know where to go or what message to proclaim? Or would anybody really want to hear what they have to say? And honestly, I think that the evangelical church has forgotten the second part of being a disciple, the apostle part. We get comfortable being with Jesus. That's where it feels good. And comfortable being with each other because that's where it's safe. And we forget or perhaps even reject the part about being sent out. We really like to be a holy huddle. We're going to watch a video to shed some light on this situation. Um, this video was created by InterVarsity for Students, so the language used will be about campus, um, but we're going to contextualize it to be for neighborhood or city. So let's take a look. Campus, there are literally thousands of people who've never heard about Jesus. It's actually kind of amazing how many people there are who are waiting to know about the kingdom of God. And luckily, you've been sent to tell them. Now, all you have to do is find the right person to start with. Let's see. Okay, well, it should be someone you already know. I mean, it would be weird to just start talking to a stranger about Jesus. Let's take out the people you've never met. That's better. Way more manageable. Now, you don't want to offend someone else's faith. So let's just take out the people who practice Buddhism or Hinduism or who are Jewish, because those people probably wouldn't want to listen to something about Jesus anyway. And then you probably don't want to talk to someone who, like, hates the church. So let's take out the people who you've heard have an issue with organized religion. Phew. Good. Because that could have been really uncomfortable. They might be angry about something that really isn't your fault. In fact, let's take out anyone who might not like you for any reason, just to be safe. And we also better take out people you don't really like, or just find annoying, or are kind of intimidated by. I know we already looked at the people you don't know at all, but you probably don't want to talk to someone you haven't seen in a while. It might seem fake if it's out of the blue. Let's take out people you haven't talked to in, say, the last six weeks. And you certainly don't want to talk to people you've just spent time with. They might think you're only trying to manipulate the conversation. So let's take out the people you haven't talked to in the last three days. Now, this is serious. People from an ethnic background different from yours might think you're trying to change them. Shouldn't start there. Someone of the opposite sex might think you're hitting on them. So let's take them out. Okay, I think we're getting close. Now let's just take out the people who look really busy right now. We don't want to interrupt them. In fact, we probably don't want to interrupt anyone who's on their computer. Or their phone or texting, or anyone who's with another person, or holding people, or like totally alone. Okay, good. I think that just about does it. Now I know for sure you'll be choosing the exact right person to tell about Jesus. Hmm, strange. I thought there would be lots of people interested in hearing about Jesus. It seems like there should be some people to tell. I guess maybe it's different on your campus. There's not really anyone here. At least you tried. Good for you. I don't know about you, 
Uh, I'll be the first to admit that I have definitely thought most, if not all, of the things mentioned in this video. So I'm wondering how you feel about being sent out. Uh, do you think, uh, do you feel scared? Uh, or unworthy? Or unqualified? Or perhaps just plain unmotivated? Um, and I want to say that these emotions are actually valid. However, they are not the thing uh, that holds authority. So Jesus sends out his apostles with authority, and he is the one that gives authority. And so we bear that authority. Um, and that is what qualifies us. And that is the thing that uh, combats our fear. Now, what message were they proclaiming? So remember, we're early on in Jesus' ministry, so he has not died yet. He hasn't even spoken of his death yet. Uh, what they know about Jesus is that he speaks of a kingdom that's at hand, so it's here and it's now. Uh, he's healed sick, the sick, he's cast out demons, uh, and he teaches with authority, unlike the scribes, and he hangs out with outcasts. Now, we could spend all our time preaching on what it means to cast out demons, and that's a different sermon for a different day. Uh, so, Travis? <laughs> yep. This morning, we'll, we will uh, have a working definition um, that when they talk about demons, it is something that has influence over someone and that has a hold over them. And so when he would cast them out, he was breaking the hold that the demon had over the person. And so for them, the message that they're proclaiming is that Jesus is in the business of liberating people from the thing that holds them captive, whether that be illness or evil or ignorance um, or isolation. And is that not the same message that we have to proclaim? Now, why are they sent out? They were constantly surrounded by a crowd. So why wasn't that enough? Everybody is around them. Um, and this is actually really important because the truth about apostleship is that that is at the heart of the mission of God. God is a missionary God, and he cares for the one who is not yet in the room. When I moved to Victoria, I moved on to Donnelly Street, just a block over, um, and then started my church hunt, which I'm not a big fan of. I don't really love sh church shopping. Um, and so I thought, oh, how great would it be to go to a church at the end of my street? So I started here. And I was welcomed in, you know, by the likes of Doreen and Carol, who welcome you with a hug. And I thought, oh, these are my people. <laughs> and so I was hooked by the love and the care and the hospitality of this church. What drew me in was the fact that I was looking for a church, and it was super close. I undoubtedly, I believe that if people encounter the, the community of Shelburne, they will be hooked by the love and the care and the hospitality that they find here. But the question is, what will draw them in? Because most people are not looking for a church, and so the church has to go looking for people. So how do we do that? Proclaiming the message doesn't necessarily have to be standing on the street corner with the placard threatening turn or burn. Um, hopefully you're not doing that. <laughs> Instead, um, I think that it's actually about uh, finding spaces and creating spaces to be with people who do not identify as Christian. We're called to be proclaimers of the mission. There are many preconceived notions of what a missionary is. Krista and I fit the classical definition of someone who is in a faraway place, um, making Jesus known amongst a people group where there are very few believers. But it was just a few years ago, Krista was here in Victoria with students at UVic. Mission can begin when you leave your front door in the morning. 
For others, our greatest desire is to share our faith with our loved ones in our own family. The best definition of a missionary I've ever heard is someone who has Jesus in their heart. And the best definition of a mission field is someone who needs Jesus in their heart. Proclaiming the mission isn't a job. It isn't an activity we do once in a while. It's a way of living. Being sent out means being among people who don't yet know Jesus. So creating and finding space. Since moving to Quebec, um, one of the important first steps we've been doing in our ministry has been to create spaces where we can be with people who don't identify as Christians. We've had Super Bowl parties with Krista's friends from high school. I've chatted with our neighbor on the balcony while I fix my bike and he has a smoke. Quebecers deeply value the environment, and so we've been helping out at a community garden on campus. I think there's a picture up here of us doing that. Another thing we've discovered is our students have a tendency to submarine on campus. And by submarine, I mean when they get to school, their faith goes hidden and undiscernible while they're at school for potentially the next two or three years. They, or they live in Christian circles, um, and they rarely spend time with their non-believing friends, even though they see them in class every day. So we've been trying to create spaces to get them to interact more, and one of the things we've been doing is hosting awesome pizza parties that they can invite their friends to. So I think we have a, a picture up here of one of those parties. Creating and finding space to share our, our, to share our lives with non-believers can come naturally to some of us. My brother just goes to the park, and while his daughter plays, his neighbors come up and chat to him, and he's gotten to know so many of them. Um, for others of us, we have to be really intentional about doing it. And so Krista and I want to take some time this morning to tell a couple of really good stories about what this can look like. The first is a story of some of my close friends, two couples actually. There's John and Allie and Nikki and Ian. And they both moved into the same neighborhood in Toronto. They're just one street across from each other. Um, they knew that as, as, as young parents with young kids, they needed support and they needed help. And both of their direct families lived far away. It wasn't long after they moved into the neighborhood that they began to realize there was other young families nearby and that their kids went to school with the neighbor's kids. And so God really gave them this desire to connect more. It started with John and Allie's neighbor. Their son would often come over to play and their backyards were next to each other. And so often what would happen is my friend John with his long arms would reach over the fence and pick up their son and bring it, put him in their backyard. Well, this started to happen day in and day out, and it wasn't long before the panel of the wood fence broke and fell down. They decided not to fix the fence. They just left it there. Nikki, um, from the other couple, her job had flexible hours, and so they realized Friday, it's the end of the week, it's a tough day, and so she decided to make spaghetti and invite the neighbors and their kids over for dinner. So all the kids ate first, and then they put on a video. 
And then the parents got to sit down and eat together and actually had some time to talk amongst themselves. So they would talk about life. They would talk about their jobs. They would talk about their challenges. They would talk about their successes and their crises. And so it wasn't long before the neighbors talked to them and they talked about their church and what they were doing and their lives. And so then when they got to asking the neighbors what their experience of church was, the neighbors were, were willing to share. And they even shared about their philosophies of God. Next, the neighbors wanted to send their kids to camp too. They knew John and Allie's kids were going to camp. They knew Nikki and Ian's kids were going to camp. And they wanted their kids to go too, even though they knew it was a Christian camp. They knew that their kids would have fun and they trusted John and Allie. So next came a request for prayer. The neighbors said, I remember when your husband lost his job and you gathered some people to pray and how that helped him. Now we're in the same situation. Can you pray for us? And the faith journey began. So at the SEJEP that was uh, born out of intercession with these, uh, these students in the same program, um, they, uh, they really longed for their classmates to know Jesus. And so as they were journeying and wrestling through their own degrees, they always had an ear out for their friends. So they were unabashed about following Jesus, and everybody knew they're Christians. And so we decided to throw a Valentine's Day party in the cafeteria so that it could be an easy invite for their classmates to come and hang out with a community of believers. So several classmates came, which was really exciting. Um, And one of the Christian students, she brought her boyfriend, uh, who is quite the aggressive evangelist. So the good is that he really longs for people to know Jesus. The less good is that his methodology is quite abrasive. So party starts, we're getting to know each other, and the boyfriend decides this is the appropriate venue to lay out the whole plan of salvation for all who have come. In case you're wondering, this is not the appropriate venue, Um, because the goal of the party was to invite the friends to deepen relationship, and the one invitation we were going to put out was for them to join our book club, which is what we call our Bible study. The boyfriend, he skipped all those steps and went straight to his gospel presentation, Uh, He would not let people get a word in edgewise. Uh, He wouldn't listen to people as they actually would share a question or whatever. Um, And he completely dominated the conversation. We literally kept having to cut him off so we could say, let's leave space for others to share something or ask a question or whatever. Um, And so then there was one friend who had been invited who kept trying to ask David three times um, a question. And so we finally cut off the boyfriend so that the friend could ask his question. And what he said to us was, I've never met young people who have become pastors before. That seems pretty uncommon. Why did you decide to give your life to that? So we really wanted to answer that question. And so uh, we were finally able to. And David was able to share. And remember, this is always all in French. Uh, So David was able to share uh, how he is most motivated by change and that he knows Jesus to be the one who brings lasting change. I was able to share that I love justice and I know Jesus to be the true revolutionary. And so here we had created some space. Uh, And in that space, there was both a bit of a train wreck of evangelism, um, but also a moment where we were able to create some intrigue about Jesus. 
We had to do some damage control after, um, some loving rebuke of the boyfriend, uh, and some teaching on follow-up. Uh, but God is very gracious. Uh, so those who were invited are still friends with the Christian students. Uh, we, we've actually been able to have more conversation with this one friend who asked us the question. Um, and we've been able to develop more relationship with the student and her boyfriend as we go to the same church. And so Jesus is teaching us how to create space uh, in our new context. So what are the morals of this story? Uh, what do the stories teach us about creating space? Uh, so we want to have space where we can take time to listen and get to know people. We want to create neutral space and also space that's natural. Space where people can actually ask questions. And we want to take time to listen to their answers. Space where we can respond to where people are at and not where we think they ought to be. And space where you can just be yourself. Space where we should actually expect to encounter different value systems than our own, so we need to suspend judgment. And we want to create space where we can just be with people. So as we conclude, being a proclaimer of the mission means that we are disciples called to be with Jesus. And we are apostles sent to find and create spaces for those who are not yet in the room so that they can encounter Jesus. Now, we are uh, people of application. We believe in doing the word. Um, And so here is our um, application for you, if you choose to accept it. Um, So the question is actually, what is one step you can take this week uh, to uh, create space with your neighbors, your colleagues, your friends, or your family members? Um, And uh, I hear that there is a polo field picnic and service coming up. And while the bulletin stole our application... Who will you invite? Um, Imagine if everybody brought a friend to the polo field picnic and service. And so who will you invite? Amen.